On this episode, I'm in conversation with Sam Rayleigh, Deputy Director of Intensive Support at NHS England and Improvement. Welcome to the QI Guy in Conversation with podcast. I'm your host and personal improvement advisor, Jonathan O'Reilly. Uh, thanks for joining me today, guys. We're about to hear a conversation I had with Sam Rayleigh, who's the Deputy Director of Intensive Support at NHS England and Improvement, where we talked about, well, quite a number of uh, topics, but in particular, we talked about making data count and plot the dots and what that all means if you've never heard of it before and how you can get involved as well. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam. So welcome back, folks, and I'm delighted to be joined by um, Sam Rayleigh, who is the Deputy Director of Intensive Support at NHS England and Improvement. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to be with you. Thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. Yeah, thank, thanks very much for, for coming on. So that that job title sounds quite intense. Um, I mean, what's involved in your current role as a Deputy Director of Intensive Support? So, um. So my role is primarily focused on supporting those trusts and systems that are the most challenged. So we'd have a number of trusts that are in special measures. So they've got a whole range of challenges. One of the common themes you won't be surprised to hear is that they're not using data very well. So that's the focus Mm -hmm. of my role. Well, and, and that brings us to the, the, the subject of our conversation today, because, of course, you lead on the work um, that people might recognise um, either as making data count um, and or plot the dots. I do. Making data count is my baby. Is your baby. Fantastic. So, I mean, what what exactly is making data count and plot the dots? And, and you know, why was why did you think there was a need for that within the system? Okay, so maybe just starting with my background. So to start off by saying I'm not a statistician. I'm not even an analyst. I'm just a simple improvement person. Um, So I've got, oh, scarily about 25 years in the NHS. So quite a long time I've been around. Um, So I've done lots of different types of roles and I've always been really interested in data um, because, of course, you can't do good improvement work without data. Absolutely. And I came to NHS Improvement, it will be five years in November. And I remember for the first um, month or so, sounds a bit mad, but I didn't really have a log on detail or a laptop. So it gave me a bit <laughs> of thinking time, reflection time. And um, I kind of sat there and thought, how is it that I was taught about SPC, Statistical Process Control, 20 odd years ago? And we did lots of it back then. And it's really good. It's a really good approach. But why doesn't anybody really use it now? So um, I had a little reflection on that and concluded that there were probably a few things. So these were my hunches. Mm-hmm. So my first hunch was um, nobody really knows that there's a vast academic evidence base that says that we make better decisions if we use SPC. Nobody seemed to know about that. So um, that felt like it was important for people to know. And the second thing was, there were lots of materials floating around, which were good materials, but now they were really quite old. 
So we had materials mm. 20 years ago. It all felt a little bit old fashioned and not terribly exciting. So teaching SPC, as you can imagine, you know, some people, I can't quite believe this myself, but they're not terribly excited about SPC and data. So I thought we needed to change that. Who are these people? And, <laughs> exactly, who are these people? It's all right, we're changing that, we're changing that, it's fine. Um, but the other thing that I reflected on was SPC had always felt like a bit of a tack on. So I use SPC when I've got an improvement project, but actually I'd never really seen it used for kind of mainstream monitoring of performance. So A&E waiting times, referral to treatment waiting times. So it felt like something new had to be mm -hmm. bought. Mm -hmm. And there came the concept of making data count, really. So the opportunity to refresh materials, try and make it new, modern and exciting. Mm -hmm. Answer to your question, what is making data count? Well, it started its life as an interactive PDF, and I'm sure um, you've had a glance at that. So an interactive PDF that's quite um, it's quite nice to look at. It's nicely designed. It links through to different tools and resources, and it's practical, and it's got some exercises for people to work through. That's what life started as for Making Days Count. And from that grew a whole range of training opportunities. So in the good old days when we were allowed out to actually see people, we used to run lots of big events across England called Making Data Count Ambassador Days. And um, we've now, of course, moved all of that online, which mm -hmm. has actually been fit to us. So it's a combination of um, materials, tools, resources, loads and loads of teaching. We've run loads of sessions with boards and that's having a big impact in terms of, of how we're changing the use of NHS data in England. And I think it has turned into quite a movement now. We've got quite a lot of interest on Twitter and people plussing the dots all over the place. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come on to talk about that in a minute, but just, just reflecting on what you said there, it's interesting because so similar to yourself, having worked on improvement for, for a long, long time, actually my relationship with SPC was um, kind of similar to what you described. We didn't use it routinely. We maybe used it as part of specific projects or if we thought there were signals in a, a run chart or a much more simpler visualisation of the data, we might put it in an SPC um, to, to have a, a conversation. And, and I think there was perhaps a, a presumption that SPC was too complicated for folk or too too much for people to 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 take on board, whereas something like a run chart was was simpler. You talked about when we caught up um, and be, before the show about the power of kind of starting small and actually being a bit of a, a kind of I think you'd say a data rebel. Could could you talk about that? <laughs> Oh, a data rebel. I like that title. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a couple of points there, actually, that I'd like to pick up on. Your point about um, run charts and is SBC too complicated for people? Mm -hmm. So I might start with that one, actually. Sure. So, so, yeah, it's interesting. And I know from a variety of interaction with, with people in Scotland, for instance, that there's been quite a focus on using um, run charts to start with. And it's been very, very interesting, our experience um, going back a few years when we started working with boards. We run 90 minute sessions with boards, I should say. 
focuses on focusing on why they shouldn't be using rag rated charts. So that's the fundamental message, I should say. So no rag rating data over time. We used to teach them a range of different techniques that were useful in terms of looking at data. And we used to teach them Pareto charts and distribution charts. And we taught them run charts and, of course, SPC charts. And what we found was a couple of things, I suppose, that actually it was SPC that made the massive difference. So whilst the other things were kind of interesting, it was only SPC that had the massive impact. And actually teaching run charts, we found um, was actually a bit more complicated. Now, I think, I think back in the old days, um, when people had to pay lots of money for software to create SPC charts, I think that that was a barrier. Mm. And there's some great research that was undertaken by Professor Richard Lilford and his colleagues that talked about some of the barriers to people not using SPC. So one of them was that people didn't have the tools, they had to pay for them. And um, they thought it was too complicated. And of course, let's not forget, we've got loads of different types of SPC charts, which mm. was also because people didn't know which charts to use. And um, we plugged that gap in terms of free tools. So now people can use our tools to create their own SPC charts. And we've got an analyst network, which has helped people, regardless of what software package they use, they can create SPC charts in the very simplistic way that we teach them. And there are a couple of key things about how we teach SPC. So um, that's a long answer to a short question. So, um, so we at all anymore. We don't even talk about a run chart because the way in which we're teaching SPC is just so simplistic. And mm -hmm. um, run charts, you need to eyeball the data. You need to go, oh, has a rule been triggered? Has it not been triggered? Oh, not sure. Maybe. Let's count the dots. Whereas um, because we are recommending the highlighting of special cause variation in an SPC chart, and that can happen automatically. And we've also come up with summary icons, which means you don't need hundreds of charts. Mm -hmm. I had a problem at all in teaching SPC to anybody, whether it's board members or board sisters or physios or operational people or governors that are lay people. Mm -hmm. So I just don't understand this concept that SPC is too complicated for people. We've trained, I would reckon now, six and a half, seven thousand people and we haven't heard the message it's too complicated. So um, there's probably something to reflect on, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And, and, and I think maybe the branding of making data count and plot the dots helps because I think we've all got a job as, as kind of educators of quality and quality improvement methods to actually to make it simple um, and to make it relatable and I think you're you're absolutely doing doing a grand job a grand job of that. In terms of your question about uh, well being a data rebel I can't yes. pass can I? I, like that. I haven't been called a data rebel before called many things um, <laughs> so don't, I suppose some people would consider me being a data rebel um, some purists might think that we're teaching SPC in too simplistic a way. I don't know if you've joined any of our training, Jonathan, but, you know, it's a very applied teaching method. And we introduce people to a married couple called John and Mary, and we explain variation um, on the basis of their experience of Mary arriving home, sometimes a bit early and sometimes a bit late. And it frustrates John because he's cooked her dinner. So we try and explain things in very, very simple terms. 
we run a data scenario with um, audiences. I'm not going to tell you precisely what it's about, but again, it's testing out how people react to data or not. Mm -hmm. So we keep it really simplistic, as simplistic as we possibly can. We make it super fun. And I think it's fair to say that's been a bit of a shock to people. So we've had quite a few people say, God, Sam, they've said this at the end of the session. They've said, actually, we were dreading that 90 minute session on SPC at our board meeting. But hey, we loved it. And it's the first time in my life that I've discovered that actually I really, really like data. <laughs> so I would suggest that um, if anybody who's listening to this podcast jumps onto any of our training, they'll kind of see what I mean. We're teaching it in quite a different way. It's potentially not for everybody. So it's not for the very purest academics that maybe want us to go into more of the maths. Most people don't need to know the deep maths. They need to know how to react to the data. So that's what we focused on. So I suppose in that sense, then, yes, I probably am a rebel. And of course, I feel like I'm kind of, oh, should I really be doing this? I'm not a statistician. Oh, but maybe that's why it's worked, because it's had to be simplified enough for everyone. Yeah, and, and I mean, just what you're saying there and how you're kind of framing that, it, this isn't for the experts, or this isn't for the statisticians, this is for the staff in our healthcare system or, or different parts of our public services who are at the point of care or the point of delivering services that need to make decisions and how do they make those, those decisions um, as informed as they can be. They don't need to know about probability and different things that go behind that they just need to know that you know what's what's the data telling them and and how and how can they understand that simply and i i think that's what you're describing is great and we'll put um links to the various different resources um and the website etc and the uh, the show notes so people can look at upcoming training and dates i haven't been on one myself but i have to say you've you've kind of sold me so i might um i might look at joining and i think that's as you'd said that's the the joy of of uh, all this stuff being digital now is that we can we can sign up and join these things from from anywhere in the world absolutely one of the things I should mention that we do sometimes get criticised by some people about is the fact that we only teach one type of SPC chart. And of course, there are quite a number of charts. So um, so we did our yeah. research. We, we produce Making Data Count, I should say. We didn't do it in a closed, isolated bubble of non-reality. We did a huge amount of research. We read loads of the books if not all of them we read loads of the papers we actually spoke to real people that would want to use something like making data count and um part of the research evidence that we uncovered that i think is now being reinforced by my conversations with lots of people is this barrier to people not wanting to use spc being a bit scared because they're worried they're going to use the wrong chart and they've been told that there are P charts, U charts, C charts, loads of different charts. And they're like, mm. oh, my goodness, which one do I use? And there's a classic flow chart that people might have seen that's got, is this attribute data or not attribute data? And I kind of look in that and I think, well, to be frank, I've got no real idea. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so you've made me feel better. So we took a pragmatic decision on the basis of all of that research and we decided to follow Donald Wheeler's teaching. Um, which focuses on the use of XMR charts. So Don Wheeler's now in his 70s. He still does teach, 
Um, I've actually recently been in contact with Donald Wheeler. He likes I what we're doing in England. I saw that on, on Twitter and it made me very jealous because understanding variation by Don Wheeler is one of my, my go-tos. Absolutely. So we love Donald Wheeler. So I like that he likes what we're doing. But Donald Wheeler's approach has been XMR is good enough for pretty much any data. Um, apart from if you've got rare event data, when you do use a different type of chart. And that's what we focused on with making data count. So the XMR chart is all that we teach. Yes, we'll talk about rare events. We do different types of training. Um, but we do often get criticised, particularly from people from the QI field that have maybe had really deep training in um, QI that tell us, well, actually, that's proportion data. You should use a P chart, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so I have got a statistician in the team, Karen, and I nagged Karen about a year ago and I said, Karen, can you just run some different data sets through the different charts to see how different they look? And eventually she went, OK, yes, I'll do it. And she did do it. And the findings were quite interesting because what we found was even though the charts might have looked slightly different, the messages from the charts were fundamentally the same. So mm -hmm. they were picking the same type of special cause variation, which was very interesting. We've asked as many people as we know to give us examples when that is not true. And so that would be an ask from people listening to this podcast. If you've got examples where there are different messages from different charts, please do get in touch. Um, but what we're seeing so far, there aren't any messages that are different mm. or it's really margins. And the other thing that's been really important that I haven't heard people talk about so much is actually there are really important requirements when you're using different types of charts. So here's me, Jonathan, having become a bit more statsy. So this is Sam becoming <laughs> statsy. So if you use different types of the other charts, it is really important that your data is distributed in a certain way. So yeah. some of them require binomial distribution, for instance. Now, I don't hear people talking about that. So they either weren't really taught it or they've forgotten it. Um, but the XMR chart doesn't require the data to be distributed in a certain way. And very often in, in the NHS, we just don't know how the data is distributed. And yeah. if we're not brains, we probably haven't got a clue. Now, the reason it was exciting to have been in touch with Donald Wheeler and I posed this problem to him, we're getting criticism about the different chart types. He shared with me a really fascinating article that he wrote, which went through the history of different types of SPC charts. And basically, the XMR chart was created a couple of decades after the other types of charts. And it was created because they'd realised by then, actually, this data distribution problem, if you've got the wrong data distribution for a P chart, then the limits come out really badly wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's why the XMR chart was created. So, um, so yes, so that's just the background. If anybody's wondering why do they only teach one chart type, that's what we've done. And I stand by that decision and it's meaning that people are using SPC and they're not scared off of not using it. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean, I, and I I'd said earlier, um, and, and that's my confession, if you, if you like, is that that's just the thing that confounded me about SPC was that flow chart and trying to actually get to the point of deciding what chart you wanted to use. And I had and still do have numerous conversations with with colleagues about what chart I should use. And invariably, I end up just saying oh, I'm going to put it in a, a, a run chart. So that's actually helpful what you're describing, because it's taken some of that agonising and that thinking that may be holding people up from actually using and utilising 
SPC and in, in, in the decision making. And also that paper that you mentioned about Don Wheeler, um, I've uh, I think I've retweeted or I've tweeted it out. So it's on um, the QI Guy um, Twitter feed, um, but I'm sure you, you can also get it if you follow Sam directly as well. So one thing that you mentioned um, earlier, Sam, was uh, the word movement, um, and it definitely feels like this has become a movement as I've kind of sought grow over over the, the last two or three years on Twitter. Was there a tipping point? Was there a moment where it kind of grew from, you know, you guys being the data rebels, the group of enthusiasts, into something that you felt was now gaining traction across the entire system? Oh, so that's a good question. And you're right, it did start really small. And just to say that I haven't got, sometimes people I think think we've got a whole army of people in annexing England and improvement, you know, driving the plot the dots movement. And um, well, for much of the past five years, it's been three, four people. We're now up to five, so it's a tiny group of people. And um, and I should say that what it's become isn't what we imagined in the first place. I didn't know what it was going to become. I'm not mm -hmm. somebody that's going to sit down and write a massive peer. Just to say, we didn't have a big programme board for this. We didn't have a PID. We didn't even have a project plan. Oh, my God, that's my confession. <laughs> it was an idea and we cracked on and did some stuff. And there is a model that I just want to mention to people. So I was lucky to go through something called the Academy for Large Scale Change some years ago. And that was um, um, Paul Plesek, who some people might have come across. He's an American expert on kind of um, big scale change and Helen Bevan. And this was a, a kind of test of how do we create massive change at scale quickly? And the model for large scale change is very practical. And it kind of says, have an idea. Is there a basis for your idea? Is there a need? Um, come up with a theory about what make, might make it better. Do something. See whether it mm -hmm. does get people on board by using hooks that are interested to them. And so that's what I did. So if I hadn't have gone through that programme, we might never have got to the point where we are. But yes, we started small. We just did some stuff. I didn't ask for permission to create Making Data Count. I just did it. So I just got on and did it and mm -hmm. then started tweeting lots of stuff. So um, I think the power of the movement has not been through the NHS Improvement and NHS England Twitter account. It hasn't been about corporate tweeting. It's been about me coming up with a hashtag that kind of grabbed people's attention, plot the dots, mm -hmm. kind of messages in the name, isn't it? That's what I want you to do. And then started using it and started drip feeding stuff on Twitter. And then I saw the opportunities to apply for some health foundation funding. And um, that was through the Q Exchange programme. I was lucky a few years ago to get not a great amount of money. I think it was 30 grand to get some money, mm -hmm. which created um, the ability for resources. So we have got hard copy little mini guys for making data count and other fun things. And that's when we decided to run some sessions across England, 100 people in a room, decided to call them making data count ambassador days because ambassador felt like a badge you were going to get. Mm -hmm. And we were going to kind of pull a fun day, but then task them to go off and make some changes. And now we haven't monitored what they do. How could we possibly do that with four people? Yeah. You know, it's just let's let's give people the knowledge, send them off out there, not try and control what they do. Try and provide stuff that's helpful and encourage them to share. And so I don't know when it when the tipping point came. 
Um, we've done 130 board sessions. So I think there were 217 trusts in England. So that's over half of trusts in England yeah. have now been make, making data counted. We haven't had a fail. We haven't had a board say, no, Sam, we're not going to do it. And so then we've got these, this body of people underneath that are doing it underneath the board. You know, they're doing it for their little services. And yeah. I have to say, I know, you know, COVID has been awful. Of course it has been. But I think for our cause, it has really, really helped for the reason that you just mentioned. We're not going to get people in a room. We can't afford that anymore anyway. What we can do, though, is get people on a Teams meeting for an hour and we can provide them with training. And we've trained about 5,000 people in that way since September. All of that training's free. I know you're going to put links on your podcast. <laughs> yes. But we do um, five steps of training. They're hour-long sessions. They're free to anybody. We get lots of people, not just from England, join those sessions. And they're kind of nice bite-sized things. That means that people can try stuff out. You know, they can try out the thing we taught them yesterday before they come to the session tomorrow. No, that sounds that sounds great, and it, and it sounds like it is very kind of action focused. It's not just about giving people knowledge, but it's it's actually sending them away with with a bit of a plan. You mentioned there um, COVID and and how how can we not? Um, I suppose we're still we're still living um, uh, in this pandemic. What's the what's the impact you've seen of COVID nineteen on um, data where people are still collecting data routine? Is it is it perhaps um, showing signs of of improvement or deterioration that's not necessarily um, what's actually happening in the service? Is it how are people finding and using that? Hmm. So good question. So clearly, COVID has had a massive impact on a load of data. So if you look at our SPC charts, we've got a colour convention of orange for concern, you know, bad performance, deteriorating performance is orange, better performance is blue. So we'll see lots and lots of orange dots as soon as COVID happened, the first wave, which is unsurprising, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so we've seen a big impact. And there have been some people that have said, look, you know, SPC just doesn't work. COVID has shown that SPC doesn't work. Now, we'd say, we'd say, well, actually, you can absolutely, absolutely see the impacts of COVID. And what you can see, of course, by plotting data over time, is you can start to see that recovery from COVID. Mm -hmm. So we have um, an analyst network, I should say, and one of the very earliest sessions that we ran for the analyst network was how can you deal with COVID within your data? So we've talked about kind of setting process limits before the COVID impact occurred. So that's what was normal before. Then we can see what happened as a result of COVID and we can start to monitor as and when we're getting back to normal. We're seeing quite a number of trusts at a board level use SPC to understand their kind of reset and recovery programme. So I think we're saying, you know, of course, COVID has impacted data, but SPC can enable you to understand that impact and also how you're recovering from it. But what we've also seen is sometimes people explaining and poorer performance down to COVID. They've said, well, that, that poor performance over there was due to COVID. And you look at the chart and actually it was pre-existing for quite a long time before. Nah. So always put a bit of a warning sign. Of course, COVID has had a massive impact, but don't assume it has. Plot yeah. the dots, SPC tools 
and then you can make the decision about whether it did or whether it didn't. And SBC can enable you to understand, have you recovered? Or are things just going to be different in future? Has the model of provision totally different? Like um, virtual outpatient appointments that were starting to happen anyway. Of course, that's massively accelerated that. Yeah, and, and I think just just as as, as much as um, COVID has had an impact on it, I think so will the, the remobilisation of health. And as, as we start to open up, different services and uh, deal with with some of the backlog and I think SBC perhaps gives you the the subtlety that some of the other tools um, perhaps don't in understanding how your your system is is kind of reacting and responding to some of those changes. One thing um, that was recently um, Kind of popped up on the horizon was the BMG article about a, a hospital system in, in England that had kind of officially adopted the model um, that, that you were involved in. What what does that mean for for you guys? Is that a validation? Is that is that just is that what you expected at a certain point? Um, and how how does how does that shape what you do going forward? Hmm. So the BMJ paper. Very pleased about the BMJ leader paper. So the paper um, really talks about the work that we've done with boards. It talks about what we learned from the early work that we did with boards. And it's got qualitative and quantitative um, data in relation to what the impact has been of the Making Data Count board training sessions. And as I said, that's now 130 that we've delivered. I think when that paper was written, we delivered sessions to it's probably about 60, possibly. Um, so I think the board work has been much more successful than anybody could have ever imagined. The fact, you know, it was scary in the early days going in and presenting to boards and basically telling them the way they'd looked at their data for the past two, three, five, ten years maybe mm -hmm. had been wrong and led them to bad conclusions. That's a pretty scary um, thing to go in and, and show people. Mm -hmm. But as I said, we haven't had a fail. So the paper talks about what were the key components of that training that made the difference. A key component was definitely um, replaying people's own data, so tailoring the sessions, showing them their own data that they'd accepted and concluded a certain thing. And then we showed them SPC charts with very, very different messages. So the paper talks about um, what's happened as a result, what have boards changed and what has been the benefit of adopting SPC. And I think the benefits are very, very strong. So people are saying they have become much more um, strategic, much less kind of in with the weeds, dabbling in lots of things that aren't really particularly important. So more strategic, less spuddling. So that's a term that I can't not mention today. Spuddling, that's a term that we've English word to make a lot of fuss about um, trivial things as if they were important. And I know that podcast people won't be able to see this, but we do have cards that people raise in their meetings, a yellow card for the first warning, a red card for the second warning. We say to board members, you spuddle with your data, you overreact when a data point goes in the wrong direction. So people are saying they're absolutely doing less spuddling. That means, of course, they can focus on the right things. And they're talking talked about strength and governance processes. The one last thing that I should mention that's really important that is in the paper is I don't know um, if you've come across the term measurement for improvement. We come across that term a lot or we yeah. did started at NHSI. Um, 
Measurement for improvement was very much associated with SPC as an improvement tool when you've got your little projects over there. And actually, it really turned off boards. So people mm. said SPC is for improvement projects. That's measurement for improvement. That's little things. We're here with important roles. We've, you know, we're interested in assurance and it's the VAG table that does the job for that. So we don't use that term anymore at all. So what we say is SPC is a brilliant tool, not only for your improvement work, because of course it shows you did what I do have an impact, but it's a much better tool for assurance. So that's been a key learning point from the board work that actually, um, you know, that is critical. In terms of what's next, well, we're going to carry on doing what we're doing. We're forever increasing our training offerings. So we're now delivering on benchmarking. We've got a module in September that's going to focus on um, little kind of bite-sized improvement techniques. And then also the seventh module is going to be on triangulating data. And increasingly, we're getting into whole system work. And after that, who knows? Like I say, haven't yeah. got a big plan. We're going to feel our way. We're going to see what people want. And we're going to try and deliver it. That sounds great. I mean, and and um, not having a plan, I think, sounds like it's actually worked for you, worked to your advantage, because it's perhaps allowed you to respond to people's needs and wants rather than um, giving them what you've what you've planned or what's in your pit. So I, I like the sound of that. And um, is there any any websites or, or Twitter accounts uh, that you want to um, let people know where they can go and find out more? Where could they register for those sessions in September? Absolutely. So um, so my Twitter handle is at Sam Riley. I'm pretty easy to find. And as we said before, it's the hashtag for the dots. Um, I only tweet about this stuff, I should say. So you're not going to learn about my <laughs> I only tweet about this. Um, we do have a collaboration site, which it would be useful if you could um, alert people to. Absolutely. So, read precisely what the web address is but we've got a futures platform site we've got over 1500 people on that site so there's discussion forums there's the calendar on there so that's got all of the training links all of the dates are in the calendar so everything you need around making data count is on that website and the last thing i should mention now i'm saying it properly publicly <laughs> podcast we're going to plan to do a virtual making data count conference next year, probably across a week in May. So again, wow. that will be open for anybody. So now I've said it, we better do it. <laughs> you have to do it. That's that's um, that's you. You've made that commitment public and I will I will tweet about it um as well. Just just for anybody that doesn't listen to the podcast and doesn't hear this, I'll I'll, I'll call it out. Well Sam listen, thanks. That was a hugely um informative conversation around the background of plot the dots and, and the benefits of, of SPC and, and, and all the work that you're doing. I think it sounds uh, fantastic. Um, and just thank you very much for, for taking the time to have a chat with me today. Thanks. It's been fun. A big thanks to Sam there for giving up her time and again being so generous with her, her, her knowledge and experience. Um, There'll be links to everything that Sam referenced um, within our show notes. So the Plot the Dots resources, um, the NHS Futures platform she talked about. So um, please do have a look.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the QI Guy in Conversation With. I hope you enjoyed it. Tell us what you think about the episode uh, by leaving us some comments on our Twitter at the QI underscore guy. And please leave a a review wherever you find us um, and subscribe to podcasts. One last thing to say is that we're going to be dropping episodes now every two weeks instead of every two months uh, and, and the podcast thankfully is is gaining some traction and and people are wanting to to listen in and also to come on and talk about their experience with quality improvement so until two weeks time take care so welcome back folks um and i'm delighted to be joined by samantha Riley, who's the head of improvement uh, analytics at NHS Improvement uh, in England. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good, but that's the wrong title. <laughs> I took that from your LinkedIn. So what's, yeah. what's your title then? What's your, your actual title? Okay, yeah, I have an updated LinkedIn, that's fair. Uh, 